Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Audrey Lugo onto the podcast today. Audrey is a physical therapist and a former dancer, and she specializes in dance medicine. So today we're going to kind of dive into that world a little bit, various considerations that you should be thinking about while you're working with dancers, whether that be from a physical therapy standpoint, strength and conditioning standpoint, or whatever. There's also a great one for dancers to help kind of understand what kind of things they should be looking for in a provider because dance is a very unique sport. And as a result, dance interventions, dance PT, strength and conditioning for dancers, all of that sort of thing should be individualized to meet the demands of their activity. I hope you enjoy this episode. Audrey, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to be working with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Super excited for this chat. So for people who might not be familiar with you or Old Bull Athletics, would you mind kind of filling them in a little bit about who you are and all the amazing things that you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Audrey Lugo. I am a physical therapist and a strength performance coach. I do work at Old Bull Athletics in Miami, Florida. We see all types of people and athletes, and we're pretty unique facility because we're cash-based and that allows us to see physical therapy clients as well as strength training clients and a lot of times we have people who come in with an injury and they kind of stay with us because they just want to keep improving their quality of life and they transition from physical therapy to to strength training so pretty unique what we do here and I specialize in dance medicine I work with dancers I also work with gymnasts and cheerleaders but My main passion comes from me being a dancer my whole life, and that is actually what led me to physical therapy, to wanting to pursue physical therapy as a career. Fill me in on that backstory for your own dance career a little bit, if you can, Audrey. You know, what kind of disciplines of dance were you doing when you were growing up? And, you know, you said that dance led you into physical therapy, so is it safe to assume that at some point you were injured and had a really cool physical therapist or something? Yeah, absolutely. So I danced my entire life, like ever since I was three years old, I was in dance and I was really set on that being what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional dancer. Like that was the goal. Um, I, I was always very healthy, very strong. I danced a lot. As I got older, dance got more serious for me, and I started taking it to a pre-professional level. Um, But I still was going to school, you know, trying to be like, just like any other high schooler, like going to school, being involved, but then also wanting to pursue dance. So life was very much wake up at 6 a.m., go to school all day, leave school immediately, go straight to dance. Dance was a little far away be at dance until 9, 10 o'clock p.m., go home to shower, eat, start homework, and then do it all again the next day. Um, And, you know, at 14, 15 years old, trying to do that every single day, it gets to the point where something has to give. Um, And for me, I just found myself getting these chronic injuries because I wasn't giving my body the proper rest. And I was just very go, go, go. And it was a lot of rehearsal without proper conditioning. So that's where I I got to a point where I had to stop dancing. 
Um, I went to physical therapy. I had some physical therapists that knew about dance and I had some physical therapists that didn't know about dance. And when I would encounter physical therapists that were dance dancers themselves that had similar stories to mine, that's what inspired me that, okay, like I could actually change this narrative around and I could do this for dancers. Um, it was a really tough point in my life though, because I, I thought I was going to do dance as a career. That's what my passion was. But through my experience, I, I found a new passion for, for wanting to help people with the hope that I could be that person that could not only help someone when they're injured, but be able to provide injury prevention as well. Like I mentioned, I, I was just dance, 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 not really conditioning or understanding like you know, how could I improve my my body mechanics when dancing and strengthening the appropriate muscles that dance educators just aren't aware about, you know, and it's it's nothing against dance educators and dance teachers. They just don't have the same knowledge as someone who understands the whole human body. So it was that experience for me that shifted my whole perspective on what I wanted to do with dance and what I ended up wanting to do was become a physical therapist that specializes in dance um, and, and just be able to give back to the dance community in that way. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And, you know, as you were mentioning through your own story and experience there, dance is certainly a very unique sport and there's so many different disciplines within the world of dance. You know, the demands of something like ballet are going to be a little bit different than the demands of something like a tap dance or a lyrical or a hip hop or any of these other disciplines. And a hundred percent. Unfortunately, there's a lot of providers out there who work with dancers, but don't quite understand the different disciplines or worse yet. They look at someone and they say, Oh, well, you're a dancer. Here's all of the exercises that I give to my dancers. And they're all the same. Right. Treat everyone right. the same because you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure just a few bar workouts and you'll be fine. Um, so for people who, you know, maybe they don't understand the different disciplines of dance and some of the different, you know, considerations or needs that the sport have, um, the different disciplines of the sport has, would you mind kind of filling them in a little bit briefly on the different needs of some of the more common types of dance, I would say? Yeah. Um, ballet is, is very popular. I believe it's very popular. I would have and, to agree with you. Yeah. And I just think it's, it's one of the, the sports I always will call dance a sport. I'm so glad that you do too, but sometimes, you know, people look at ballerinas and they don't see ballerinas as athletes. Um, and what it takes to be able to sustain these positions, you know, with, it's called like turned out with that extreme external rotation at the hips and with that um, 10 to 20% of external rotation also coming from, from your knees and your ankles. That is not, you know, like day-to-day -day life, you're not walking around like that. Like you're not standing like that. So some, a ballerina like that, an athlete that participates in ballet, the, the therapy and the strengthening that's going to go in to to making sure that this this athlete can can endure their their ballet trainings their shows everything it's going to be different than someone who's a contemporary dancer lyrical jazz hip-hop 
tap, break dancing, etc. It's just going to be different because there's different demands. There's a lot of sustained postures and positions in ballet. And in keeping that turnout, that's such a huge part of ballet is having that specific technique, that specific form. Um, so, so that's completely different than a dancer that is more lyrical or contemporary that you can't have that flow of movement. The foot doesn't have to be perfectly turned out all the time that, you know, it's just, it's going to be different movement styles. So it just depends on the genre, um, which, you know, if you look up on YouTube, like a ballet variation, you'll see, you know, a lot of these professionals or even these aspiring dancers, they get to a level where they go on point. And that's a completely different ball game because now you're not just dancing. You have this really hard shoe that you're on your toe. Um, and that just the weight distribution, everything is just different. Um, so I would encourage anyone working with dancers, like do your research. If they say they're a ballet dancer, ask, are, are you on point? How long have you been on point? And if you're not sure what the genre looks like look it up look at some dances it'll be super entertaining <laughs> you'll watch some good stuff on youtube but it's just it's going to be different you know not to mention i would say that you should probably reach out to their dance coaches or instructors as well because if you get the athlete your pt or strength coach and your dance coach all sitting down together i'm sure you could probably figure out what they have to do um, and, you know, I love how you brought up the importance of the turnout position and the extreme external rotation that needs to be achieved. I would go out on a limb and say most ballet dancers that I've seen, at least in my experience, display quite a significant level of laxity and hypermobility in order to achieve a variety of the positions that they need to achieve and do the things that they need to do. Um, and, you know, I, I look at a lot of people who work with hypermobile athletes and they do, again, we talked about earlier, the same things that they would do with everyone else. Um, a lot of hypermobile athletes probably aren't going to need stretching, for example, um, because they likely have enough mobility as it is already. Um, so, you know, kind of like you mentioned, taking the what you do with the athlete uh, in this case to match the why you're doing it. And if they're coming to you as a PT uh, with probably some sort of pain or injury, then the last thing on my mind is taking something that's already hypermobile and increasing it to a more hypermobile level right. mm -hmm. um, when it's already probably got enough movement as it is. Um, I also love how you brought up the point of going on point, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, that's certainly one of the most unique demands of a sport I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even sure how you all do it um, because plain and simple, like I've messed around before once or twice, you know, shoes off, trying to just get up that high on my toes. <laughs> I can't even do it. So <laughs> it just boggles my mind that you can get all the way up to that point and then make it look so effortless and move around almost in like a artistic flow for lack of a better way to put it. Like, I don't even know how that's possible to tell you the yeah. truth. Actually. I think that's that's one of, if not the most unique thing about um, dance, specifically ballet, because we're talking about ballet right now, is that so much goes into it. But when you see it on stage, it just looks so effortless and graceful. And the amount of athleticism that has to be, the, the level of athleticism you have to have 
to be able to execute that in such a way that it doesn't even look like you're trying. It, it's just, it's very impressive. And I mean, I say it as, as an outsider, but also as someone who, who was that ballerina on point, like these dancers, they're not, they're not comfy on their toes. You know, they're, it's not comfy up there. Um, so it's a lot of athleticism, a lot of strength, but it's not, it's not just the athleticism and strength. It's also the show that they put on. Right. Right. You mentioned strength from a strength standpoint. Are there any common deficits that you tend to see exhibited in the dance population? I know you get to kind of wear the strength coach hat and the PT hat simultaneously. So are there any kind of common deficits or common things you see, you know, athletes lacking in? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start by just giving the typical physical therapy answer. It depends. Of course. Um, right. It depends on, on the level of the dancer. I've seen a lot of young dancers, teenagers right now that their their bodies are changing a lot. So right now, what I'm seeing a lot is just finding those external rotators. That's something that they're trying to achieve turnout from the laxity in their hips or from other ways or getting a little bit of lordosis in their back, not really engaging the core. That's how they're getting the turnout. And long-term, that's not what's going to sustain them as a dancer or as a ballerina. So I'm seeing a lot of like finding the glutes, finding the external rotators. And also um, one of the assessments I give dancers before making sure that they're ready for point. The point readiness assessment involves single leg calf strength, which seeing ballet, I mean, I'm sure you can tell there's a lot of calf raises that go on. These are called releves. Um, for those of you listening who don't know, releve is basically a calf raise, um, but it's part of so many movements in ballet. So I, I do give that as an assessment and I look at the body mechanics of the ankle and the foot and the big toe and where the alignment is and sometimes these dancers that they're dancing a lot they look great but they can't do 20 single leg calf raises with proper form and proper alignment and then that's where I'm like we need to work on this calf strength because how are you going to get up repetitively on point which is you're getting your maximal plantar flexion if you don't have this endurance in your calf and the strength. So really depends. Those two are, are probably the ones I'm seeing a lot right now. Um, and then core is, is always a thing. I feel like proper, you know, not just crunches, right? You want to make sure you're really getting to the deep core, transverse abdominis um, and educating dancers on that. It's not just doing a hundred crunches a day that is going to help you strengthen your core. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. And I think you hit so many amazing points there, Audrey, is, you know, ultimately all athletes, but dancers, especially when they're young and learning the sport, they are really masters at compensating. And as a result, mm -hmm. you see them develop these ways to produce movement quantity, but the quality sometimes goes out the wayside. Um, and I love that you brought up the importance of the core and the lordosis compensations, because in the past, I tend to see quite a few dancers who present with lower back pain um, as the main reason they're coming to PT in the first place. And, you know, same thing there. It's like, OK, now we have to somehow 
teach you how to brace your core and actually get some good abdominal activation, reversal of lordosis, and that sort of thing, um, assuming that's what's causing the pain, um, to kind of help reverse that process there. Because I'd imagine some of those compensations, like increased lordosis, can actually be beneficial to a dancer. You know, not all movement compensations are a bad thing, I would say, um, to match the demands of the sport. And that's the other piece of this is understanding which compensations are actually advantageous to a sport like dance, as opposed to ones that might hinder performance and lead to increased pain and uh, discomfort. A hundred percent. That's actually something I, I talk to a lot um, about with with my my dancers, specifically, again, you know, the young dancers, I'm seeing a lot of them right now where they're they're coming in and they have some aches and pains, but they're also strength training and they just want to improve and get better. And I mean, they hear all, there's so much information out there. Right. And then they kind of come to me and they're like, what's right, what's wrong, what's right. So specifically, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is when I have a ballerina do an arabesque and they're worried about arching their back so much or getting into their back so much um achieving that level of hip extension you you get to the point where you do have to have a little bit of that lordosis to be able to get your leg higher you just can't avoid it um so it's also just being able to educate on when it's okay and when you should avoid it um like going back to what i would say it depends so yeah exactly i mean ultimately at the end of the day you need to be strong and able to move into a variety of different positions. Like you need to be strong and stable in max spinal flexion and max spinal extension, or else you're not going to be able to achieve these extremes that we're talking about because dancing is a sport of the extremes. I mean, you're using all your available motion at a number of various joints at the same time while doing something that's extremely difficult to do from a strength and stability standpoint. Um, Taking that a step further, we mentioned, you know, the concept of pain, and we're talking a little bit now on strength and range of motion and all these technical physical therapy terms. Why is it that most people come to see you uh, for dance physical therapy in the first place? Is it because of pain or is it because of an injury? And if it is an injury, what kind of injuries are you typically seeing? You see more like knee injury or more foot and ankle or what kind of stuff does Audrey see on the day to day? Yeah, um, I see a wide variety. So the majority being lower extremity injuries, as you can Im- imagine, dancing like your body is your instrument. Um, so a lot of it is foot ankle, some knees, a lot of hips, lower back, we could just name every part of the body. Um, But also I have people that maybe they have an injury that was not related to dance, but they happen to be dancers and they want to work with someone who can understand their desire to go back to dance um, from that emotional standpoint and also just making sure, you know, me as a provider, I understand like, oh, you're a dancer and yeah, you have, we're rehabbing your shoulder right now. And dance is not, you're not necessarily walking on your hands and dance, but you, your arm goes up and, you know, you have to throw an arm out to, to tie it into the music or depending what it is. So 
it's not just what, oh, well, dance is all legs. Like, no, you also need your upper body too. So sometimes I have people that they find me and they just want to work with someone who understands dance because they're dancers. And other times I have dancers that are seeking a physical therapist that specializes in dance because they have a specific injury that occurred as a result of dance. Um, and in that case, we just, we start from the very beginning to um, beyond just the injury. Like I always look at alignment, proper body mechanics, and, and we kind of diagnose and figure out why did this happen in the first place? A lot of times it's improper body mechanics, um, you know, improper conditioning, and and we get to the root cause, we treat the injury, but then after you're the dancer's out of pain, we transition into more of a strength, um, dance specific strengthening conditioning for, for the dancers. And and then we just go from there. Yeah, and I would imagine that gives you the best outcome when you're able to kind of take a step back and look at everything because you know, you mentioned one of those other catch-all terms of root cause. Um, I'm willing to bet, though, when you get to the bottom of these uh, cases, Audrey, there's not like a one thing that plays into this. No, I would never. imagine there's probably like 50 million different things. Um, you know, you mentioned things like workload. Um, you know, I believe uh, from my limited past experience compared to you working with dancers, uh, that there's a certain element of pressure that goes into dance um, to perform at a high level. And as a result, there's a lot of additional repetition and practice and load that comes with that. Uh, there's also a certain element of stress. You mentioned it yourself when you were sharing your story. Some, sometimes you don't always get a full night's sleep uh, because you have to be up until nine or 10 o'clock um, because that's what the sport demands. That's not a bad thing. You just need to understand the demands of the sport. Right. Um, taking it a step further, uh, I know when we worked with um, Ariana Camille in the past, she talked a lot about the body image and eating side that goes into some of the different disciplines of dance as well, um, which can also feed into injuries. Uh, you know, yeah, 100%. I, think, I think everyone's heard that term food is fuel before. And ultimately, if you're not putting enough of it in, then you're going to have compensations and things are going to bend a little more and eventually break, uh, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, those are all very difficult things to juggle and manage uh, because of the extremes of the sport of dance. Um, we mentioned before, it is a sport of extremes. And that's what makes it so elegant and interesting to watch um, is not everyone can do that. I certainly can't do it myself. Um, so do you have any kind of insight or advice for those listening on how to address and tackle all of those different factors? And I only listed a few of them there, really, uh, all of those different factors that can really impact the injury of a dancer and ultimately their overall care and success of rehab. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing to start with, which as as rehab providers, as physical therapists, this is something that regardless of the sport, regardless of the individual, you want to establish trust um, with your patient and with your clients. You want you want that trust because you have to be that person to 
to check in with them and see like, are you doing enough of, you know, and it's the hard questions. It's, are you eating enough? Like you mentioned, there's a lot going on in the, in the dance world. This has always been a problem of mental health, of eating disorders. And you want to make sure that you, as the, the health provider, you have a responsibility to check in um, and make sure that, you know, whatever's happening, the injury, if it's physical therapy that's needed, like you're giving that. And if it's beyond that, you need to address that and, and allocate those resources as well. So establishing that trust and and being able to be that resource that person for the dancers so I always ask about eating habits I it's just something you have to do um water hydration that's a big thing as well I think you know and I always say because I I was a dancer there's sometimes the dance teacher will um discourage drinking water or Gatorade during a class or discourage taking a long break in between classes or discourage a snack. So I think you you have to have that that honesty, that open communication with your patients and educate them on what it is that their body needs to be able to perform at the level that they're performing at. And sleep, sleep is huge. Sleep is your body's best way of recovery. It doesn't matter how much foam rolling you do. If you're not sleeping, your body's not going to feel better. Um, that's something that I, you know, looking back on my own journey, I, I was getting very burnt out as a teenager and I wasn't, I was sleeping four hours a night. That's not sustainable. So it's something that I always really try to push on, on my dancers is make sure you're sleeping enough. And if you're not figure out why, figure out what you need to cut out. Um, and if you still want to try to do all the things, like that's fine, but time management is huge. So it's it's not just the injury in front of you. It's it's a whole person. It's their whole life. And you want to make sure that you're having that open communication. You're checking in because all those factors could be um, influencing their their prognosis and influencing their plan of care. I love that you brought up the foam roller. It's amazing how many people think that, you know, a two foot long cylinder is going to magically, you know, make them recover and just feel amazing instantly. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> that's just, not how just it works. sleep. Take um, a nap. And I love that you brought up the mental health side as well, um, because that's something that often gets neglected uh, in physical therapy, because for some reason we felt the need to put the term physical right at the front of therapy here. Um, When a lot of times when you're seeing an athlete with some of these injuries, like uh, we'll pick on the dancer's fracture in this case, since we're talking about dance, um, any kind of foot fracture is going to be very difficult to recover from in a sport like dance, where you kind of need to be on your feet in order to, uh, you know, dance. Uh, So there's going to be a period of time where dance is out of the picture, uh, which is very difficult, I would imagine, for someone to hear and process. So it's not just a matter of supporting the athlete physically and helping them get back to dance, but also trying to provide resources and referring if necessary 
help them mentally at that time because you've just taken them out of you know their favorite sport their favorite thing to do um and that's difficult for people to hear for anyone that might find themselves in that position a dancer or you know a provider who's working with a dancer who's currently out you mentioned yourself that you grew up dancing for i think you said like 20 years or something and you faced a few injuries, is there anything that you did that really helped you when you were facing those times? It's a really good question. Um, I wish I could be the provider I am now for myself 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, cause I just didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Like, I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was rough to feel like, okay, now I just have to stop and sit and watch my friends dance and, just wait for, you know, my foot, my knee, my hip, whatever to just, I have to give it time and it'll magically heal. And then I can dance again. And that's just not what I've seen is the case. Um, what I do is if let's, let's say, for example, it is a foot fracture and they're in a boot or in a cast or whatever, we can still strengthen other things that are still going to make you a better dancer. So I like for, for my dancers to feel like, okay, your foot is out, but you have the whole rest of your body. We'll do it safely. We're not going to hurt yourself more, but let's keep you moving. Let's keep you improving because being a good dancer is not just doing only dance training. You have to cross train too. Um, and I, I love that there's being this huge push in the, in the dance world right now where it seems like everybody's waking up and realizing it doesn't matter how many dance classes you take you do need some level of cross training some level of conditioning to to help the rest of your body to make you a stronger more powerful dancer so what I like to do with a lot of my dancers that you know they get told they need to just completely rest and not dance is okay well it's your foot we'll take your foot out of it let's work on your core Let's work on, you know, your quads, your glutes in whatever position we need to be in to not use your foot so that your foot is is healing still. But we're going to still work on the rest of your body so that when you do go back to dance, when that foot is cleared, we just start right away on the foot and your body's already conditioned and you're ready to go back to dance. And, and I've had it. I had a wonderful testimony um, of a dancer that she she had an injury she was out for several months and when she finally went back to dance her teacher actually said you're better than before <laughs> and it's because we didn't stop we didn't stop the conditioning we didn't stop talking about dance we we implemented types of dance technique exercises in the safest way possible in a controlled setting you know in a physical therapy facility um, so that when she was cleared and when she was ready to go back to dance, she could go back to it safely and she didn't have to go back several levels um, when getting back to dance. So I think that showing dancers what they can do while they're out, while they're resting is just as much beneficial for them physically as it is mentally. Yeah, exactly. You're finding ways to keep them involved and Ultimately, I would imagine that helps their confidence in the return to sport phase as well, because if you just go by tissue healing time alone and you keep an athlete from sport for hypothetically speaking three months, 
And then all of a sudden you pull back the curtain and say, okay, you're good to go now. And they haven't danced or done any kind of progression to that point in three months. I'd imagine there's a lot of nervousness and anxiety and all these other feelings that go along with that, that are probably going to impact their performance and how they do physically as well. Um, whereas if you progress them back up to that, kind of like you mentioned, showing them what they can do every step of the way and keeping dance as the focus of what you're doing, since that's kind of what they want to get back to, uh, that would certainly lead to a better outcome. I also like how you mentioned the importance of not always just avoiding and resting when you're out uh, due to an injury. Uh, there's a line, I think Jake Sullivan mentioned it recently, where, you know, taking a car that has the check engine light on and leaving it in park is not going to magically make the light disappear. You're just avoiding the problem problem temporarily. But when you actually need to go somewhere, it's still going to be there. It didn't disappear. It didn't get fixed. Um, so ultimately, you have to actually do something um, in order to get those issues or dilemmas or whatever to go away. You know, you can't just be passive about this process, unfortunately. I would say the other thing too, and we're kind of alluding to it, is some of these processes take time. You just mentioned yourself that you had a client that you were working with that was out of dance for months. Um, unfortunately, we can't just come back from these things overnight. It's not a instant recovery. It takes a lot of time and sometimes it's a long haul process. And I'd imagine that the timing component is another big factor that you uh, end up working with quite a bit with dancers. Now, again, from my limited experience with dance, I know that there's this whole concept of eight counts that seem to be pretty important in the sport. Um, so do you take any sport specific things like that and incorporate that into your sessions? And how do you go about incorporating that into your treatment sessions or conditioning sessions? You mean like in dance, like kind of having eight counts for, for an exercise? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, I make my reps on purpose only to eight. <laughs> oh my God. So, so to kind of keep that going, um, but I do use a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of dance specific or, you know, if it's ballet, I keep talking about ballet, but if it's ballet specifically, I, I use those positions in my therapy. Um, and I always use that language. So I'm like, okay, we're going to be in first position. Or if I'm having them do a sumo squat, um, I'll be like, okay, so be in second position, which is basically the same position just with that external rotation. And I, instead of calling it a sumo squat, I'm like, you're going to hold this kettlebell and we're going to do grand plies in second position. So I just speak dancer so that they get it. That's a lot, especially when it's a younger population. Um, they're going to respond and understand to that in a much better way than you know, using the term, whatever it's actually called or whatever it's called in physical therapy or in strength training terms. Um, so I like to just, you know, keep it interesting. Like I mentioned, keep it like, oh, this is all still part of dance. So use that, using that terminology and, and speaking dance is what I've seen, like, goes a long way like you could just see like somebody's face light up when it's like oh wow like she speaks my language she knows what I'm doing with dance like she knows 
that, you know, my leg has to go this high and stay there. Um, so just being able to communicate in that way, I know already makes a huge impact on on the patient's journey and on the whole experience. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, we see that in other sports all the time. Um, but, you know, I found that there's certainly a bit of a mismatch when it comes to understanding vocabulary around a sport like dance and what goes through the heads of someone such as myself here. Um, there's certainly a lot of terms that I don't really know in the dance world. Um, so in addition to the ones you already mentioned, are there any other common terms that you use a lot uh, when you're rehabbing a dancer or what kind of terminology do you feel it's essential for a PT or strength coach working with a dancer to know? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, so going back to like the calf raises I mentioned, the heel raises, Yep. Um, when I'm looking at the alignment, I want to make sure that they are really using that flexor halysis to get on their, their releve, to get on that full plantar flexion. If not, the ankle is going to go more laterally and that in ballet is gross. It's a, called sickling, like you're sickling your foot. And in ballet, you never want to see that. Like that's a form of like improper technique. Um, and it looks like an immature dancer that doesn't know how to adequately point their foot or get on relevé. And it's really dangerous if your ankle goes laterally when you go on point, that's a an angle spring like waiting to happen um so when I do see that I always will be like don't sickle don't sickle your foot um so if you are you know treating a dancer and your dancer doesn't think you know dance and you see them doing that and you tell them hey don't sickle your foot they'll be like what's what sickling <laughs> so that's something I tend to say. Um, but also instead of saying like externally rotate, I just say turn out. Um, that's a big thing. And I'm trying to think about anything else. Any yeah, cues core you like for the, the back or the core? Any cues you like there? Yeah, core. I Core is hard to cue um, because you don't want them to suck in their stomach. And a lot of times that's what they do in class. They think like, oh, engage your core. And then you just see them like, <gasps> like take a huge breath in and suck in. And I'm like, that's not engaging your core. So there's a lot of like education that has to go in sometimes because the way that a dance educator might, you know, their dance teacher might give them a cue to make, you know, the movement more aesthetically pleasing might not be the way we cue to engage muscles. Um, so a lot of times I've found that, especially with core, it's like, I'll be like, engage your core. And then they suck in. And then I'm like, not like that. And they're like, well, how? <laughs> like, I thought that was engaging my core. And I'm like, no. Um, that's when I kind of put them on their back, have them breathe. Like, I have them, I put my my hand under their, their back and I tell them, okay, like, push your, your spine into my hand. And kind of giving them that cue. Um, and also a lot of my dancers, I always have them in front of a mirror. Always. Um, external cues are huge in dance. If you have ever been to a dance studio, 
there is always a massive mirror. Like dancers spend their entire life in front of a mirror training. So physical therapy should be the same way. It's already easy for them to use external cues to fix what they need to fix. So, you know, I always have my dancers spend the whole treatment session in front of the mirror because it's something they're familiar with. And, you know, a lot of times in dance, that's something that they just need to look at themselves in the mirror. And, you know, especially the ones that are more advanced, more mature in dancing, they can just look and see what they need to fix. Um, and at the end of the day, when you're rehearsing and you're practicing, you're used to performing for yourself in front of a mirror. So I always use a mirror. It's a great external cue for, for dancers in the rehab. I'm so glad that you brought up the mirror because I feel like every time I see you posting about something dance related on Instagram, there's a mirror involved always right next to the person from a PT and strength and conditioning standpoint. Is there any other equipment considerations that you'd like when working with dancers, uh, whether that be just standard ballet bar to hardwood floor or. So what I have at old bowl, um, that that I requested because I felt like these would be a couple things I could provide my dancers with just to enhance their whole experience. I did get some Marley. So Marley is a type of floor that dancers, um, they dance on. And, and it's especially ballet, it's important for turns and everything you want that Marley floor. So when I do have a dancer to roll out the Marley floor, and they're like, oh, you have this floor. And I'm like, yeah, I know that you need this when you have your ballet shoes on, your point shoes on. Um, so that makes a difference. And I do have a ballet bar. I think it's really important. Like, I like to go over what they're doing in dance because that's how, you know, correcting it and, and actually just seeing what it is that they do um, and how they do it. And then I do like rotation discs. Um, a lot of times these are used in Pilates. I like them for my dancers because I have them just start one foot on each in parallel. And then I have them, I say, okay, now give me first position turnout and they have to turn out their feet. And this can only be achieved through those external rotators in the glutes. So at first they get on and they're like, whoa. And then, of course, I'm talking like a 10, 12 year old. Um, they get on and, and it's it slides and slippery and then I'm like, you have to turn out now. And then when they turn out, I tell them, okay, like hold it here now. Or sometimes they'll try to cheat and they'll try to adjust and use their feet to turn out. And then the disc slides and it exposes them that their turnout's not coming from their glutes. So I love using that, especially in initial stages as a an education tool for dancers. So for them to see, okay, how much true turnout do you actually have from your hips and how much of it is from you cheating and using your knee and your ankle. And if you're using the majority from your knee and your ankle, that's going to predispose you to injury because your knee and your ankle were not meant to externally rotate like that. Your hips can do it if you have the proper strength and control, but the knee and ankle, no. So I would say those three things and then Going back to before I told you about the the sickling, before I have them single leg, I have them do um, relevés or heel raises, both legs. And I like to put a tennis ball in between the ankles. And this is what makes them use um, the big toe. It, it shifts the, the weight more medially. 
and then it has them use the flexor halluses as part of the the plant's reflection. So I use that and the rotation disc as more of a teaching tool to start. Um, and then as they progress, I take those things away and, and we do we do the thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And those were all great examples and great insights that you just shared, Audrey. And in general, I feel like this has been a phenomenal discussion on so many different factors uh, that, you know, go into the rehabilitation and strength and conditioning for a dancer. And, you know, I know we talked about it mostly through the lens of ballet, and I'm going to take a shot in the dark and assume that that's probably the most common type of dancer that you'll see at the clinic. Um, not the only type, but probably one of the more common ones. Um, you know, as we start to wrap up here, I feel like we could talk all day about this stuff. Yeah. But is there anything that you want to really close out on or any really important points that you want to make sure we emphasize? Um, I just think that if you're a dancer and you're in pain, don't wait. Try Find a, a provider. It, it'd be great if you found a provider that totally speaks and understands dance. But if you can't, share with your provider what you need for them to know. Um, share with them what you're doing in dance and, and give as much detail as you can because they need this. And as providers, you know, do your research too. Um, on try do your research on the on the demands of dance it's not just ballet jazz also you know you're going to be turning a lot um, hip-hop there's more grounded so there's a lot of strength there's strength involved in all aspects of dance but do your research on what their dancing looks like um the level matters also because how much are they dancing some of these dancers they're they're dancing more hours than they're in school and it's like how do you even do that you know um just do your research and understand that it's not just a, a physical therapy like we've kind of talked about it's not just physical therapy there's a big emotional part that goes into it too um and I think that's seen in in all sports and also just dance is also a sport so to treat the dancers doze them appropriately challenge them appropriately and we kind of touched on it with flexibility maybe stretching is not the most important thing to do but using that flexibility to develop end range strength is really what's going to help these dancers um not only in their physical therapy but in their their strength and conditioning just to to help them I love those points. And, you know, ultimately, don't be afraid to ask for help. You don't have to know everything yourself. You can always reach out to an amazing person like yourself. Um, speaking of which, how could people get a hold of you? Where can they find you at? Are you on Instagram or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I am on Instagram at Lugo. And also um, a lot of dancers actually find me. I'm on a database called Doctors for Dancers. So that's, um, that. it's a wonderful database. It's a dancer directory and you can look me up there and I have a whole bio there with information on how you can get in touch with me. But Instagram is a great way to connect with me. So awesome. at Dr. Audrey Lugo. We will link to all of that below in the description too. So if you didn't quite catch it, you can just check that out. Audrey, Audrey, I really appreciate your time today. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for your insight and 
your knowledge that you've shared with us. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been a great time chatting with you, and I'm just really grateful to to have this opportunity to share, you know, dancers and and dance medicine with with your podcast. So thank you for having me on here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.